Aloha, everyone, and welcome to the BRAD Podcast, the show that aims to get you one step closer to your next business milestone. We tackle marketing, entrepreneurship, social media, and of course, filmmaking and photography. And today we have a special guest, my good friend, Mylan Yamamoto. Welcome, Mylan. Thanks, Brad. Great to be here. Great to be back here. It's always good to be here. It's always good to be here. <laughs> Mylan, you are originally from here. Tell me, tell me what it was like for you growing up in Hawaii. Well, after I moved away, looking back at my childhood, I'm like, dang, I had a good childhood growing up in Hawaii. My grandma lived with us. My mom and dad and my sister grew up in Aiea. And I just remember feeling safe and having our family all around us and doing family traditions for like New Year's. We would pop the firecrackers outside back when it was legal. And it was a good time growing up in Hawaii. I think this is like the best place you can raise your kids, really. Family is so important here growing up in Hawaii and family has always been a, a big part of my life. Is it is it easy to, for you to stay connected with your family being across the ocean now? Well, thanks to technology, it's definitely a lot easier. I can just FaceTime my mom anytime. She appreciates it. But it's not the same, you know, like being around, like it, FaceTiming into a Thanksgiving dinner can only bring so much joy as sure. opposed to like eating my auntie's stuffing. You miss those home-cooked meals and like the hands that go into preparing all of those foods. Yeah, I miss eating the food. Now I'm like, mom, can I have a recipe for your chili? <laughs> <laughs> I got to cook it myself now. Yeah, is there is there a favorite dish that you miss and you can never replicate mom's version of it? Her chicken adobo, for sure. Chicken adobo, true She's Asian. Like, <laughs> true Filipino. She's like, it's so easy to make a chicken adobo. You know, take the vinegar, soak it, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll try it and it doesn't, I mean, it's good, but it's not mom's chicken adobo. Something about mom's touch that you can never truly replicate. Sprinkles the lovin'. <laughs> the question that we always ask here in Hawaii whenever we meet someone is, what school did you go to? Give me a little bit of a history of like how you grew up, where you went to school, how that journey kind of transpired for you. I graduated from Wanaloa when I was in high school. was very involved, was in marching band. I was student council. And my friend group really inspired me and my teacher, Mr. Sata. You know, like, I think it was a good foundation for me to, like, feel comfortable that I know that whatever I did, there is something to always come back to. And so I took that opportunity, like, okay, you know, I am comfortable. I grew up here, but I want to go and explore what else is beyond Hawaii because Hawaii was all I knew. So I went to Chapman. It was 40 grand and it was way too expensive. So my parents told me, okay, Miley, you got to come back home because there's no way that you're going to take out these six-figure loans just for you to go to college. And I was very upset because I loved the university and I wanted to stay in California. But that was really the best thing they could have done for me because it's expensive, you know. I could have had these six-figure loans, but because they took me out of Chapman, I was able to go to UH for a year, my sophomore year. And then I found scholarships and grants to go to Cal State LA. And that was a really early lesson on in my life that if you have your mindset on something, and in that case, I really wanted to go back to the mainland and finish my schooling up there, and I found the grants. If you just look for something and you do some research, you'll find some solutions. And what was it at Cal State LA 
that you were pursuing? Like, why did you have to get back to California? I love Hawaii, and I knew I always wanted to come back in some way. But for me to grow as an individual, I felt like I could do that best being away from home. And like I said, I had a very comfortable upbringing. I had a loving family, and I knew that, thankfully, I could always come back home to that. But as a 17, 18, 20-year-old, that was a time for me to explore. Plus, they had Disneyland and Universal Studios, so come on. (laughs) Theme parks are something we definitely don't have here anymore. So you went to school, studied a lot of stuff. Eventually, you came back after graduating, and you started working with some of our other friends, Mikey and some of the guys and girls in Kaka'ako as you developed yourself as an entrepreneur as as Mylan. Tell me a little bit about that journey and how that helped shape the woman that you've become today. When I graduated from Cal State, I got my master's and I kind of did this circle of traveling. So I went to Japan for a year and I taught English. And I, I think anybody that's living in Hawaii, if you have that opportunity to study abroad or work abroad, like go for it because you learn so much. When I was in Japan, I learned about have these like amazing table manners because the Japanese just have this beautiful etiquette when it comes to eating, which influenced this idea called crop sticks. We'll get to that later. And then after I finished teaching, I ended back at in Hawaii. Again, like Hawaii's home base, right? It's a safe place. My family's there. And after I taught in Japan, I was like, okay, I got to like figure things out. So when we met during powwow, that was when I started my first business called ClickNow, and ClickNow is a talent management company. We pair brands with influencers with a million followers or more, like the Fung Brothers, Stephen Lim. We package their deals, pitch Netflix and studios like that. But back when we first met, you know, the company was just starting. And the way that it started was really, I started getting uh, clients coming to me asking for help with their digital media because prior to that, through my relationships in Los Angeles, some folks came out to Hawaii and Justin Chan and Kev Jumba did a movie out here in Hawaii. They knew I was here. I was like, hey, Molly, can you help me with this movie? I did. And when the movie left, a lot of, this is 2012. So YouTube was still a new thing. Social media was a new thing. And I would help businesses set up their social media, help them with their YouTube videos. And that's really how Click Now started. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw you start to develop Click Now, it didn't really make sense to me because this this wasn't a thing, and it's it's right now even still somewhat in its infancy. And businesses like being able to relate to influencers and having somebody help to kind of bridge some of those gaps for them. But you were really early on in what a lot of people today call like the social media influencer agency model. You you were working with artists back then, musicians, talented people, and you had this idea of connecting them. Kind of an idea, but also I was a fan of these YouTubers. And then through that, like the brand started coming, wanting to either work with them or they want to help with their YouTube. And then I guess to your point, that's when the idea of connecting them even further um, became the business. So in 2009 through 2012, a lot of the YouTubers were Asian American faces and they got a lot of views. Like David Choi, he's this musician. He was just playing his guitar. Or like Kev Jumba, he was being funny and talking to the camera. Wang Fu was doing these short films. 
And I personally resonated with them because I just saw them being themselves and they kind of look like me. And I couldn't find that really on in Hollywood, like in traditional media at that time. Like today we have Crazy Rich Asians, we have Fresh Off the Boat. 2019 Hollywood's really interesting, but 2009, 2012, it was different. So a lot of these Asian American talent would just be themselves on YouTube and people like me would gravitate to watch them. And I became a fan of them. And luckily, I eventually got to work with them. So it's been a fun 10 years, I guess. And we, we share another thing in common. I went to Loyola Marymount University for my undergraduate, and you ended up teaching there, entrepreneurship. Yes. I hope I'm not confusing anyone that's listening because they're like, okay, you do YouTube, you, went, you taught in Japan, and taught at LMU. So... To continue that circle, after being in Hawaii and finishing up the Kev Jumba movie and then also helping with local productions and helping with some influencer marketing, I decided to go back to Los Angeles and that completes that circle. The reason why I wanted to go back to LA was that was really where a lot of the the hub for entertainment was starting to take shape for YouTubers. And I knew that if I wanted to represent them, I had to be there physically. But since ClickNow was such a new business, I also needed to pay the bills. And I took up a job at my alma mater, Cal State LA, teaching communication courses. I love teaching, by the way. Like, I, I like to go back to teaching university courses one day. And then eventually, I got hired into Loyola Marymount teaching there full-time. That's pretty amazing. And honestly, when I first met you back at the greenhouse, sitting at the desk, just typing away, like (laughs) you weren't to me the visual that I would expect as somebody who's like actively hustling. And like, I I picture Gary Vaynerchuk, like this guy (laughs) who's loud and super in your face about everything. Aggressive in some ways, but in, in a good way because he needs to get a message across. You've always been like this picture of a reserved, very like traditional Asian, (laughs) but you're always hustling. You always got something going on. And that's the picture, I think, of entrepreneurship that people actually don't see. But you've always embodied that. Well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. And it took me a while to kind of understand and grow into the way that I do business. And shout out to Gary Vaynerchuk. Those of you that watch his videos, he's very, like Brad said, in your face he's not afraid to say like fuck you and fucking think like this that's how he talks i think i have more of a software approach and it works for me it's what how i'm comfortable doing business and when i say software approach like i'll share my ideas i'll be more collaborative i like to listen more than like tell the other person what to do and that tends to work especially in talent management for my style of leadership i think of you as very subdued but also very strategic and all of what you do, which even leads us into your next innovation with this cool little idea for Cropsticks. Yes, so those that don't know, Cropsticks is a chopstick with the built-in rest. It started as an idea in 2015. I was still at Loyola Marymount full-time and still running ClickNow, but I was on a flight to Singapore for click now work and my chopsticks kept rolling off of the tray table and it was a long flight and I was really bored so I thought okay instead of snapping it apart vertically why not snap it apart horizontally and that was the catalyst to what became crop sticks by crop made today we're in over 200 different restaurants including 
Royce restaurants and Disney and Four Seasons. So at the end of it all, like going back to your point about personality type as an entrepreneur, I don't think you need to have a specific personality type to be successful. I know this has worked for me to conduct business in a way that's not totally in your face. So those of you that are listening that if you can kind of relate to that and you're also in business, don't feel like you need to become this total A-type person. Well, that could work for them, but it doesn't work for you. Like be yourself. And the thing that everyone has in common though, whether you're A-type or you're a beta personality or you know whatever it is, is that that hustle is there. Like it is a grind and you have to be okay with that grind. So what does your grind look like on a day-to-day? Like what does a typical morning to evening look for you these days, Mylan? I wake up, I look at my phone and I wake up as early as I can, which is hard because I'm not a morning person. I drink coffee right away and a glass of water and then I go right to my emails. So a lot of the work I do can be done remotely as long as I have Wi-Fi, I can get work done. On the talent management side of things, I'm always doing phone calls and emails. So that's something I do in the morning. And same with crop sticks. So I look at the emails, but what I've learned that really works for me is blocking. So like I'll allocate 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. That's gonna be for crop sticks work, like to reply to those emails. 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. I'm gonna focus on click now responses. I get lunch, I usually eat at my desk or I do it at meetings. For some reason, like my brain isn't as creative in the afternoon. I'm just not as focused. I think something about being an entrepreneur is really knowing when your peak productive work hours are. And for me, that's in the morning and it's not after lunch. So after lunch, I usually will do errands, you know, like if I have to go and deposit checks or if I have to fill out briefs for the week or for my talent, then filling out briefs is like just updating our spreadsheet to like indicate the status of each deal at night, happy hour with people or whatever meeting it is. That's a general basic day. And a lot of people that have this type of heavy administrative task list have very specific either software or apps. Do you have any particular type of management system that you use? Yeah, I love Trello. So Trello helps with indicating where your projects are, like from start to finish. Google Sheets, I love Google Sheets, Google Docs, just so we can collaborate with our team from no matter what area you're at. On the Click Now side of things, there's three of us. And then on the crop stick side of things, there's like about four of us. And then we talk to our vendors. So having software where you can simultaneously work on something has been such a game changer. Any apps that you love on your phone that you couldn't live without? My calendar, definitely Google Calendar. All my flight apps, my airlines apps, it's just, I do have to travel a lot. I'm trying to travel less, but when I do have to travel, I just, I love downloading the airline that I travel on because it just keeps it all organized and you get updates when you travel. Yeah, those are my apps. Pretty simple. One of the things that you have really found a sweet spot in with your business, with your life, has been influencer marketing. You kind of started before a lot of the the buzz was there and even before a lot of the money was there. What does influencer marketing look like now and going forward? And, And how are you guys trying to 
anticipate some of what's happening in the future. So most people in Hawaii, I think, know me as Cropsticks, but I do have the whole click now side of the business. And influencer marketing is one I think a lot of brands are allocating their budgets more towards this area. And I want to define what influencer marketing is. So if you go on Instagram or Facebook, YouTube, you'll see talent or in this case, influencers that have a pretty significant following. Significant meaning like on the micro side, like at least 20,000 followers. And then, you know, like more of the juggernauts, they have like followers in the millions. And these folks are considered influencers. In the early days, we would do deals for gift cards. (laughs) So definitely there wasn't money in the early days. But these days, brands are allocating budgets to influencer marketing. And they are starting to track it in a way that they would traditional media. Because I would say maybe like 2014 through 2016, brands were throwing money to the influencers and then they would create content and they would post. But now in 2019, there's money associated, but they want to know more what the return on investment looks like. And that could be through like the CPMs or the impressions or the engagement. And that's all tracked now. A few years ago, it wasn't as tracked or measured. So I think today the world of influencer marketing is like, if you want to either be that on the brand side, know that there are tons of tools that you can track these measurements when you work with an influencer. And then if you are an influencer, know your stats, like know what your demographics are, know how much engagement you get, because that's what the brands are going to care about. And A lot of people talk about it in this way, right, that, you know, there's no real way to track a magazine article and how well it's performing versus having a direct call to action on some kind of a web item, whether it's a a link to buy a ticket to an event or something that actually has a trackable back end. And, you know, same thing with TV and and radio, where a lot of the traditional forms of, of marketing just don't have the ability to measure how effective they are in the same way that digital has always been. So people are a lot more critical of the digital marketing they do because it's all trackable. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's good if you're an influencer and your track record is amazing, then you have more leverage in this space. And then not so good if your audience is very targeted. Let's say I'm an influencer that talks about sneakers all the time and my demographics 24 to 35 which is a millennial audience they are more expensive and I have Asians like Asians watch me so that's a very specific demographic to get that lane is more expensive but then if there's a brand that doesn't fully understand that you have a very targeted audience and maybe you have like a hundred people watching you that's targeted versus like you know, another influencer that has millions of followers and they're not as targeted of what you're trying to sell. Like those are just things I think the market is starting to really understand more of like where they invest their dollars, who's watching it, and then what the return is. So it's good and bad. So tell us some of the uh, brands and people that you represent and like what kind of business you typically do with them. So I represent the Fung Bros, Stephen Lim. He's off of BuzzFeed's Worth It. Richie Lee, who's a huge sneakerhead, and he also has a show with Complex. Uh, Kevin Lee Magic, who was on Penn & Teller's Fullest. Linda D Productions. 
worked with uh, like Orion Higa and the Wong Fu guys and a good a good amount. And, you know, one thing that they all have in common, not to say that we're exclusive to this, is that a lot of them are Asian American. You know, again, I was a fan in this space. So that those are the folks I uh, generally work with. And then the brands that we work with are the Venetian Hotel in Vegas, Complex Con. We're doing something with them with Jameson, McDonald's. Um, actually, in Hawaii, we're doing a McDonald's education workshop on November 23rd. Stephen Lim's going to be out there to speak. So if you have kids or if you are a high school student that wants to learn more about college, we're going to be there and we're curating that project. Nike, Squarespace. A lot of you see the Squarespace ads when you watch a YouTube video, like they're an awesome sponsor, Minimal, and like dozens more. I'm sure you could go on and on. Um, You've had an amazing track record of creating really cool and impactful video content and social media content. And I, my, one of my favorites is still like Asians eat weird things because that was one of the breakout videos that kind of set YouTube on fire with these Asian (laughs) personalities that maybe they weren't, you know, familiar with. And it was a fun little connection that you brought together these people with this brand. Can you tell me a little bit about that story and how it all transpired? So, yeah, this is 2013. The Fung Brothers, I just knew them at like, they had 40,000 subscribers at the time. Now they're over 2 million. And they shared this song with me called Asians Eat Weird Things. AJ Raphael was on that track. And it was a song about them eating things out of like what you could get at a 99 ranch. And they were rapping about what I eat. And it was done in a way where like you're very proud of the food that the Fung Bros ate. So when they shared that song with me, I was like, oh, this is like really fun. I like I love it. And you know what, guys, I think we can like find a brand deal to work with you. So the first one that I thought of immediately was 99 Ranch. Uh, We used to have a 99 Ranch in Hawaii in Mapuna Puna, but it's closed, unfortunately. But on the mainland, like 99 Ranch is all over the place. So I drove down to Nanay Ranch. I shared them this song. I was like, hey, this is a hit. The fun rolls are attached. Do you want to work with us? And they listened. They're like, yeah, we'll sponsor it. We'll give you our locations. And then when we finally went into production, like the community came out and supported it. So Wang Fu was in it, Jason Chen, like a lot of our friends. We're just at like a house in the, like doing a barbecue in the backyard. And then when we uploaded it, it just started to get 10,000 views in, you know, like the first 30 minutes. And then it snowballed into 300,000 views in the first day. And then we're like, wow, this is like, and for someone with only 40,000 subscribers, you know, like, you know, you're getting attention from outside of your current base. I don't know how much it has now, but it's definitely in the millions. And I attribute that as like the first project that I've done with the Fung Bros. And we've been working for seven years since then. And it's it's amazing just with some little human ingenuity to go down there, talk to somebody from 99 Ranch and make this connection. And was kind of the beginning of a lot of this, you know, click now movement. Yeah, it was the beginning. Like it's really nice to reflect on those early days because I would get the deal and then I would help produce the videos which as you know, is a lot of work. (laughs) So now like we leave it all with the talent to produce their own content. Sometimes we can produce for our talent, but we do most of the 360 management for them. Meaning like we negotiate the deals, we curate the deals and we package them up. It's pretty amazing to just 
hear your story, kind of track back through the last decade with you and see where you're going. Um, so speaking of which, where do you see yourself, your businesses going over the next, you know, into 2020, 2025, or however long you've projected out for? What's next? On the Click Now side of things, it's a really interesting time in Hollywood where you have studios paying attention to executives that want to make Asian content. And I don't want to like loop Hawaii into that whole narrative because I think we kind of exist on our own. But in a way, Hawaii is such a diverse community that I feel like we're also part of that narrative because, you know, we, we all look different. And that's what Hollywood is kind of going for now. It's like different faces to be represented on the screen. And so that's our focus with Click Now is to get our talent onto platforms outside of digital, get them into movies, get them their own shows. Like um, the Fung Bros had their own show, their TV show at one point. So it's like, okay, what's the next show? It's really, really exciting, you know, and both businesses help each other. I think that's something behind the scenes where I would say Crop 6 might have not even existed if, if it wasn't for the help with a lot of talent from Click Now because when we had our Kickstarter, they all pushed it out on their social. They shared Crop Sticks with their fan bases and then we were able to fundraise for our patent and our first PO order for Crop Sticks. But with Crop Sticks, like, it's a really exciting time where sustainability is really important I think even just when the idea started 2016, sustainability was a nice to have. And now the narrative in 2019 is that it has to happen. And so CropSys contributes to that movement. Uh, we became a certified B Corporation, which is the highest standard for environmental and social responsibility. Um, we'd like to help other companies kind of follow suit in that. Um, just help whether, you know, whether it's like a business that we service or another vendor that wants to be compliant with sustainability, it's like, okay, how do we all play our part in this? So, and through that, we're noticing more business because of it. And we also came out with a really cool bamboo straw. So that's also really exciting for us and pushing that out to the market. Can't wait for that. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. So some really quick rapid fire questions. So don't think about these too hard. All right. Okay. <laughs> Coffee, tea, or boba? Coffee. Hawaii, Japan, or LA? Hawaii. Sweet, sour, or salty? Sweet. What is the one place that you have to eat whenever you come back to Hawaii? <laughs> My mom's house. Uh... <laughs> awesome. And just talking about that, one of the other places that we started talking even before we hit the record button was housing. This is a premium place to live with some premium expenses, one of those being housing and food and and you've, you've had your own thoughts on what that might look like for you in the future. Yeah, so I'm 32 now, married, and in your mid-20s, I think having that hustle mindset on your businesses and just growing that, like, that's part of it. But now that I'm getting into my 30s and I'm thinking about family, and if I were to have a kid, how do I want to raise them? Do I want them to be raised on the mainland, away from family, or do I want them to be raised with family? And so through, you know, the process of like building the businesses and careers, it's it's also part of the thought process is like, how do we afford to raise a family 
in Hawaii and also maintain our careers in LA. I think a lot of folks that grew up in Hawaii, born and raised, that go away, they can build things outside and scale outside of Hawaii and hopefully have the resources to eventually come back because like, you can't put a price on family. Like, that's what I'm learning as I get older. Most definitely. And, you know, I, I failed to ask you this earlier, but you, a big part of your family now is your husband. Yes. Tell, tell me a little bit about him because we never get to talk about Ron. <laughs> My husband is amazing. His name's Ron Tancinko. And we met in L.A. We were at, like, a, a networking event for entertainment industry, and I was totally in a networking mood. So he came up to me, and I was like, oh, what do you do? Here's my business card. Let's talk shop after this. But he actually asked me out on a date. These days, people don't really ask each other out on dates, but he did, and I'm so glad he did because that immediately turned my, like, business mind off and put me into, like, okay, I'm going on a date mood. And he turned out to be like the nicest, kindest person that I've ever met. And I'm just lucky that he thought the same about me. And, you know, especially in L.A., like it's hard to find those kind of people. And it just so happened that he was also in entertainment. So my husband works for a company called LBI Entertainment. They also have a talent management company called, um, they represent Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz. Jennifer Lawrence, a lot of A-listers, and his side of the company does production. They produce movies like The Other Woman, The Dirt off of Netflix, and they're producing a lot more. So I'm really lucky that my husband understands the work that I do, and I understand his work, and we really learn from each other. And then on our free time, or any time that we have, like we can work on other business ideas or uh, he's also a partner in crop sticks so i'm very very lucky and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about him because he is a big part of my life yeah he is like the biggest part of my life yeah Uh, i think that when we're the face of what we do people don't realize that we have this gigantic support system at home that allows us to be the people that we are for our businesses and i'm sure ron's a big part of the success and the uh future of what Mylan wants to do with any and all of these opportunities, right? Yeah, it's like when you first go away for college and you know that you have family back at home and that's always your safety net. And now even though I'm away from Hawaii, Ron's always with me and he is my safety net. So he allows me to go off and do these crazy things. And I, and this is like a luxury not everyone has, like to have something to fall back on like that. I am so grateful and always thankful for that. And, you know, it all starts with family, but it always comes back to family. Yeah, that is something I'm learning as we get older. Yes, always. Well, it was amazing having you here today, Mylin. Is there anything else that you'd want to share with our friends online? If you want to see more, go to Instagram, Mylenial, M-Y-L-E-N-N-I-A-L, or Cropsticks. If you need straws or a cool chopsticks that's sustainable, go to crop, C-R-O-P-S-T-I-C-K-S dot C-O. And the last one is that if you are thinking about going into this influencer talent management industry, go to click C-L-I-Q-U-E hyphen now N-O-W dot com. And thank you so much for listening. It was it was an amazing story and so much fun to, to just chat with you again, my life. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for being here. And that wraps us up for this episode of the B-Rad podcast. I hope you 
loved it as much as I did. I always love just sitting in these chairs, chatting with her friends, and Mylin is such a special treat to have here in studio. So I hope you uh, go follow Mylin on all of her social media platforms and find out more about her storylines there. And we'll catch you on the next one. Aloha.